Good morning. We are live. We welcome all you that have joined us wherever you're at around the world. And those of you who will get this podcast sometime this week, we welcome you and we appreciate you uh, standing for God's word and being a part of what we do here. God is good. And all the time. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Do you realize if we do that, we won't be able to complain? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. If we do that, we won't be able to gossip. If we do that, we won't be able to tell lies or fib, as they say where we grew up, right? My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. How many times do we read that in the scripture and and we know that fear only causes harm? You don't have to live in fear. You can get delivered from all that. Amen. They looked to him, were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out. David's talking here. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He said, he delivered me from all my fears and saved me from all of my troubles. What a word. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And delivers them. We need to finish that verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him or receiver of divine favor. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. We preached on fear last Sunday. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Those who seek the Lord. Then Hebrews tells us that he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. What a word. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him some praise this morning. He's worthy. Amen. There's none stronger than the Lord. Amen. Turn around and tell somebody there's nobody stronger than the Lord. He's the very present help in the time of trouble. Amen. He is our Alpha and Omega. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Nobody's stronger than the Lord. And He's coming very soon. Amen. He's going to send His Son back. I'm excited about that. Feast of Trumpets is just a few days away as we anxiously await the fulfillment of that in our generation, I believe. The Lord is coming back. So there's a good chance all of us will be alive, I believe. When the Lord returns, if we live a normal life. And I'm excited about that. I'd rather see Jesus come back than anything else I know. And I hope you feel the same way. The Bible says we're to love his appearing. Are you in love with that? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's what John said. Amen. Give him praise one more time. We have two nurseries next door and the children's church is dismissed. The rest of you may be seated. Uh, 
I'm going to say a few things here to you uh, just to get you thinking a little bit. And then I'm going to get into some scripture and I'm going to work a word over. We've worked over quite a bit, but I want to work it over just a little bit further. Take it a little bit deeper than we have before. Uh, if you have your Bibles, come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I do want to welcome Vietnam. Let's give Vietnam a round of applause. That's the 55th country that we know about. Some of them are incognito because they would get in trouble if they were tapping into our service. So, uh, but we know of 55 countries that are uh, joining with us and we welcome Vietnam as the last country that's uh, joined up with us to listen to our podcasts and our videos. Uh, in Second or First, Second Corinthians chapter 1, uh, before I get into this, we'll pick up in verse 3. But before I get into that, I want to ask you a question. Who encourages you to be a part of the body of Christ? Do you have anybody in your circle that does that? I want you to think about that for a minute. And, and, and ask yourself this question. Do you encourage your children or the people you have influence with to be a part of the body of Christ? As, uh, as imperfect as the body of Christ is, Jesus died for it. He did. And as imperfect as the body of Christ is, this is the vehicle that the Lord chose to use. The church, the true church. So you should be encouraging people to be a part of that. You should be getting encouraged to be a part of that. And because the body of Christ is not just, and we got to get this changed. It's a couple of things that stand in the way of people understanding fully why the body of Christ was formed. It's taken out of the side of Jesus uh, it's not just for you to come and get something. It's for you to come and give and maybe to be a blessing to someone else. So if you don't participate in the body of Christ, somebody may have been there that you needed to minister to. Come on, I need more than one amen for that. This ain't just about what you get. This is where we give. And the first place we give is to the Lord. And to honor Him, we attend to God and I've been working this over with my staff. The first thing we do is we attend to God, then we attend to the people, and then we do our job. That's how it works around here. We attend to God first and attend to people because without people there is no job, right? And so then we do our job. And I, I just want to know how many times did you encourage your children this week that they need to be a part of the body of Christ? That they need to be involved. And it's not just what they're going to get. But maybe they need to sit beside of somebody. And share the love of God with them. You've got to get this worked out in your life. You didn't just come here this morning to get something. You came here maybe to sit beside somebody. Or even to pat somebody on the back. And say hang in there brother. Hang in there sister. We're all in this together. Can you say amen to that? So we need to be encouragers. The, the body of Christ is here for all of us. And it's not just here for you and I to do our thing or for us to get something. But it's also here because you might just walk along some, uh, beside somebody this morning and encourage them or hand off something the Lord has given you for them. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, or verse 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I like that word, don't you? The God of all comfort. Who comforts us 
in our tribulation. So you're going to go through tribulation. The Bible says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. We were reading from that Psalm 34 this morning where David talks about how God was always coming through on everything, right? That we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble. Let me read that again. You hear that? Why are you at church this morning? To get some fresh food from God. And there's a difference between going to church and doing your devotions. I'm going to have to start all over. I'm not getting enough amen. I'm going to have to take an offering up. That'll wake them up, Lord. Uh, there's a difference between getting a word from somebody who's been commissioned and this doing a devotion. Because I'm supposed to be carrying a seasoned word. And I know I'm preaching to the audience around the world. If you're in a church where you're not getting a seasoned word, get out and find you one where you are. You can't live like that. Now, uh, but here's the thing. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Don't, you cannot just look at the church at what you get out of it. Because you're here to be a giver. For God so loved the world, right? His first uh, inward um, emotion is uh, not the right word. His first inward movement was love. His first outward movement was what? Giving. God loved and then he gave, right? And then he says, uh, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Somebody say amen to that. He's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. So we all should be comforters, right? That's what we've been studying on Wednesday night. What's wrong with Job's friends? They're miserable comforters, he said. They're not very good at it, right? So we, we need to be good comforters and we need to stay strong in the Lord. You need to, you need to do your devotions, but you need to get a seasoned word from God. Uh, and then you need to be a comforter to those with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So I love this line here. He's the God of comfort. He comforts us in our trouble or tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble and with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now you're not going to make it very long if you don't stay consistent with God. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. If we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So Paul's saying, Really what we're going through is a bigger picture than us. It's for everybody. Now listen to what Paul said in Romans, right? The Holy Spirit said, uh, all things work together for the good of them. Doesn't say him. Now, in other words, you may be going through a trial that's not very comfortable for you. But it may be working a greater good for the Lord. Just like with Job, right? Now... If you look at Joseph's life, everything Joseph went through wasn't comfortable for him in the moment, but his God, the God of comfort worked him through that. Now we all benefit from a guy who stood the test, right? And what, what? The whole nation was saved. Why? Because everything that happened to Joseph, although some of that was hurtful and injurious to him, it worked together for the good of them. Are you willing to suffer a little bit for the good of others? Am I willing to suffer a little bit for the good of others? 
Are we willing to stand in the gap and say, I'm part of the body of Christ even when it hurts or even when I don't feel like going to church? I'm going to get up and go. And I'm going to be a part of the body of Christ because there's more to this than me going and getting something. See, I think a lot of people have that attitude. Well, I'll just stay at home and get it. Right? Thank God we have opportunity if you have to be at home to get it. But there's more to you just getting it. Maybe you need to be beside of somebody who needs what you got to say. And sometimes it's not what we have to say. It's what just putting the arm around them. Because Job was wanting his buddies to shut up after a while. <laughs> sometimes it's not what we say. It's just being there. I remember a guy who said he, his, uh, he, he was going to go minister to a family who had lost their child. And he didn't know what to do. And so the funeral was on the horizon that afternoon. And so he just went over there and shined everybody's shoes in the family and got them ready for the funeral. He was just there. Just being there. So you not being there, somebody may be missing out on what you have to give them. Right? So who's encouraging you to be a part of of the body of Christ. Let's go on here. Look what else he says. A hope is steadfast. Uh, you and steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of all the sufferings, so also you will be partakers of consolation. That's good news. Paul said in another place, if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. Right? So we got good news waiting on us. For we do not want you to be ignorant. Tell your neighbor they don't, you don't want them to be ignorant. Now, why is Paul so hard on ignorant people? Because in another place, he said, if they're ignorant, let them stay that way. That's pretty harsh, right? Why would he be that hard on ignorant people? Because the root word of ignorance what? Ignore. You ignore God. You ignore the Holy Spirit. You ignore his word. You ignore what he's asked of you. A lot of times, Christians, it's not the things we commit. It's the things we omit. We leave undone. We excuse ourselves. Then he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength. It seemed like it was just too heavy, right? Uh, so that we despaired even of life. Right? They thought they were going to lose their lives. Some, all of, some of us have been there. You thought maybe you're going to make it. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Anybody ever thought about that before? He said we had the sentence of death in us. He said we had the sentence of death in ourselves. I like that. But in God who raised... not that He said we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Some trust in chariots and horses, right? But we trust in the name. How about living a life like that where the sentence of death is in you? Throw uh, Revelation up there real quick. Revelation 12 and 11. Most of us know that. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Something changes in our lives when we no longer fear death. The devil loses a lot of ability to manipulate us and to put fear in us. These guys, Paul said, we're, we're living our lives 
with the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Once you overcome or lose the fear of death, what else is there? Think about it. If you've resolved, like Paul did, to live as Christ, to die as gain, if you've come to that place in your life, whatever brought you there, some people, situations bring them there, some people just keep growing in their Christianity and they'd rather be over there than here. How many have had some days like that too? Sometimes it's just a bad day, isn't it? A really bad day and you're thinking, I'd just soon Jesus to come back today, right? So we, we all, whatever causes you to no longer fear death, that puts you in a different realm because the devil can't badger, with you, badger you with that any longer. And to be honest, we all need to remember this. None of us have the promise of tomorrow anyway. We don't own tomorrow. The Bible says, he told uh, Asher, he said, as your day, so shall your strength be. So in other words, if God gives you tomorrow, he's going to give you enough strength to handle tomorrow. He won't put on us any more than we can bear, he said. But we'll always make a way of escape if it's necessary. So God's on our side. Isn't that great? He's on our side. Well, one thing he does not do, he does not say, Matthew, you will have September the 4th, 2023. He's not told me that. So today could be my last day. So if today's my last day and I don't fear death, then I'm in a pretty good spot, right? I mean, you can, we can all be there if we lose that fear of death, if we've overcome, if God has put us. But I like this. They carried about in themselves. They were willing to die, and Paul did prove that with his life. He died, Paul died a long time before they took his head off. He died a long time before that. Because he said, the world's no longer any good for me and I'm no longer any good for them. We don't hang out together anymore. He died to himself a long time before they took his head off in the natural. And that's what God's asking of us. And you want to know why you keep having those same things come up in your life? Because God's trying to kill you. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, God's trying to kill him. God wants us to die to ourselves, right? He, he's not trying to kill you in the physical sense. What he wants you to do is to die. And I've said this over and over and over. The Holy Spirit's number one objective in our lives is to conquer us. So when the Holy Spirit moves in into our lives, then he wants to flood our lives with his presence and conquer all those regions in our lives. If you uh, are... Uh, uh, angry about something, the Holy Spirit wants to overcome that in your life. If you have unforgiveness about something, the Holy Spirit wants you to overcome that. He wants to move into that region of your life and conquer that in your life. Whatever it is that's going on inside of you that causes you to be at odds with God, the Holy Spirit's there to overcome that and to conquer that in your life. Now, then he says, We have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivers us from so great a death. Now listen, this is Teshuvah, right? The Teshuvah, 30 days will be up on the 16th. Then you'll have, actually on the 15th that night, Teshuvah will come to its 30-day point. Then you'll have 10 days left through Yom Kippur of what we call the days of awe. It's those last days of, of that Teshuvah. 40 days every year the Israelites would gather, or were supposed to gather, evaluate their lives, take inventory, and return to God in things that they had let slip. The chances are everybody lets things slip over time. So it's a beautiful time as a Christian, not something we're obligated to, but just something to do, to join in here and say, you know what, where do I need to return to the Lord? Now I'm going to make a statement here, and I want you to think about it. <clears throat> if... You have to say, I used to 
and fill in the blank, then you need to return to the Lord. If you have to say, I used to study every day. I used to go to a place of prayer. I used to attend church faithfully. If you have to say, I used to with anything, then that means you and I need to return to the Lord. I used to be a giver. I used to. So when you look at your spiritual journey, and that's why the Israelites would do this every year, is when they would look at their lives, you could let things slip. It's easy to fall into a bad habit. How many know what I'm talking about? It's easy to fall into a bad habit. Now, <clears throat> I learned a good habit with COVID. Whenever I pump gas or anything like that, I've got this sanitizer. Because I, I don't want a cold. I don't want any of that. I don't want, so I picked up a good habit. You can pick up good habits or you can pick up bad habits, right? But here's the thing. If you've left something, right? What did he say at the church of Ephesus? said you left your first love. You didn't lose it. He didn't say you lose it. And that, that's how a lot of things happen in our lives. We know to do good. Paul said he that knows to do good and don't do it, it is sin, right? Those are what we call things we omit or leave undone. So just look at your life, evaluate your life, and say, am I having to say I used to, whatever, whatever that would be, then you need to return to God in that. You need to come back to that. You need to return. Now, I want to take you to my board here. I drew this out. I write better when I'm not in a hurry, so you'll be able to read this a little better. So, uh, this uh, is the word hupomene. And I use this word a lot, right? But I wanted to show you something I've never shown you before. That's how you, tr and I say transliterate, that just means to sound it out. So, you transliterate that word, that Greek word, uh, that, that little curly cue there is the H sound, hupomene. And that's how we, now this is the translation uh, this is the main translation that you've heard me harp on. But you're going to find this in the Bible. This word is going to be translated with these words and a couple of others. Perseverance, endurance, patience, and continuance. All right? Now, all those co converge because in the English we'll translate hupomene, this word, this word, this word, whatever. Right? Uh, because uh, we don't have the same ability to do things with words that the Greek does. So we struggle sometimes. But all four of these, continuance, patience, endurance, and perseverance, they all four make up this word, hupomene. All right? And, but the full meaning of hupomene is consistency. So these words converge together to give us this meaning of this word. So I say to you, and here's good news for all of us, myself included. There's nobody in this building or listens to me in Vietnam or wherever you're at. Nobody in this building can be perfect. Tell your neighbor, say, you can't be perfect. Just go ahead and tell them. But we can all be consistent. Right? A, 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 batter, at, a batter in the batter's box, he may not be perfect. But he can be consistent. Same thing with a pitcher. Whatever. You, none of us can be perfect because we're flawed. He that says he has no sin is a liar. Right? And the truth's not in him. But we can all be consistent. Now here's what happens with our lives. When we're committed to persevering, enduring, being patient, and continuance, continuing underneath. And it means to continue underneath. 
So this word can run you into places like carrying a burden, right? Like Paul was talking about there in Corinthians. You're bearing up under it. You're not giving up. You're keeping going. So when you see this word, yes, consistency is the full meaning because if you're going to be consistent in anything, you're going to have to have patience, aren't you? You're going to have to be committed to continuing, enduring, and persevering. All of that together is what makes you and I faithful. Not perfect, but faithful. So these are things we need to major on in our Christian experience. Do you feel like, do you not feel like going to church sometimes? Even I don't feel like going sometimes. I've had to put up with some rough sheep on Wednesdays sometimes. And I don't feel like going. I'm looking at sheep. Well, like the, 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 the mom knocked on the door and said, it's time to go to church. He said, he, the son said, I'm not going. And she said, you got to go to church. He said, I'm not going. She finally said, you got to go to church. You're the pastor. <laughs> so it happens to all of us, right? But feeling bad is going to happen to all of us. Having a bad week, having bad moments, even whatever. But we got to persevere. And every time... I feel like letting up. I try to remind myself in my mind's eye. I go back to that Via Della Rosa. And I watch my Savior in my mind's eye. Carrying an old rugged cross on the back that had already been shredded like hamburger meat. And a crown of thorns shoved in his brow. Bruises all over him where they punched him. And then spit running off of him because they sped on him. And he's headed up that hill. And then they drove the spikes in his body. I try to remind myself of that. That's why Job's such a good book for us. Job will keep you from feeling sorry for yourself. And that's one of the worst traps that any Christian can fall into. So we can all be consistent. So when you feel like not being consistent, think about it. Think about the heavy price that's been paid. That, and I've told you this before. That's why three, sometimes that third or fourth generation will lose a, a business because they don't remember the price that's been paid for that business to get. They don't remember Grandpa didn't even have a vehicle when he started that business. They don't remember that the great, great, great grandmother was selling vegetables on the side of the road to get the down payment to start the business. And these are true stories, by the way. They don't remember none of that. All they see is the bank account now, and they have no reality of the price that was paid. So we got to remember that, right? When you don't feel like doing any of these things or hanging in there, hupomene, when you don't feel it, you got to remind yourself, I'll guarantee you Jesus didn't feel good. And not only Jesus, but we got all kinds of examples. Let's go through a, a few of these verses here that I'll show you where this word hupomene is at. In Matthew 24 and 13. In Matthew 24 and 13, here's... But he who endures to the end uh, shall be saved. That's in, that's in the Mount Olive Discourse where he's talking about the end of time. The word endure there is hupomene. He who remains consistent to the end shall be saved. Go to the next one, James 1 and 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces, that's hupomene. So let's speak it like this, go back. <clears throat> Knowing that the testing of your faith produces consistency. Now go on. 
Then he says, but let consistency have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So God's not telling us the victory is in being perfect. That is the victory, actually, because Jesus was perfect, and he gave us the victory. We didn't get the victory on our own knowing. We were given the victory by the perfect one. So God looked for a perfect man. He found him. His name's Yeshua. We call him Jesus. He is the perfect one. He handed off the victory to me, right? He's like, uh, how many remember Rocky, right? Rocky's wife be sitting on the side of the ring. Poor old Rocky get his brains beat out. <laughs> and he had to take the prize home to her, right? She was the beneficiary of the prize that he won in the ring. That's who we are. If you go back to Isaiah, he says when Jesus went to the cross, he took war wounds. That's how the Hebrews said. He went to war for us, and he was wounded during the war. And he got the victory, though. Amen? And because he got the victory, he handed it off to you and I. We're like Rocky's wife. We're sitting outside the ring while Jesus is up there getting the beating for us, and then he hands off us the prize which is eternal life. Somebody give him praise for that. Next, next one. Uh, Revelation 2 and 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience. There's that word, hupomene. I know your works, your labor, your consistency. And that you... Let me ask you something. Why is Christianity different from everything else? And same thing with people who don't like truth when they sit under their preacher. They don't want him telling the truth. We don't want that from anybody else, do we? You think about it. You don't want to go to the doctor and him find the lump the size of a baseball and say, everything's fine. Just go on out. Uh, the nurse will hand you a couple of little Debbie boxes of cakes on the way out. Go home. <laughs> Nobody wants that from their doctor, right? Who finds some tumor and, and just blows it off and don't even tell you about it. How about your financial advisor? How many wants your financial advisor not to tell you the truth? Last week your account was worth $10,000. This week it's worth $9. And you go see the advisor and he says, or she says, it's great. Everything's good. The secretary will give you some Little Debbies on the way out. <laughs> I'm hung up on Little Debbie, right? Nobody wants that from anybody. And you don't want that from your preacher, right? Now, here's, I know your works, your labor, your consistency. Why, what do they tell us? It, whether it's retirement or your health. I'm going to preach a little bit here now. Whether it's your retirement or your health, what do they tell you? Be consistent. Amen. What am I telling you as your preacher? And I'm talking to you about the most important thing in your life. I don't mean that to bolster my position because a donkey could do what I'm doing. God's already proved that. But what I'm telling you, the most important thing in your life is whether you please God or not. So I'm telling you, you need to be consistent. Amen. I can't help you. Billy Graham, can, amen, you can give the Lord some grace. I can't help you. The Holy Spirit can't help you. Nobody can help you if you're not willing to be consistent. You've got to be consistent. That's your part. That's my part. Somebody can't wave a magic wand or lay hands on you or pour some kind of holy oil on you or speak over you in the Holy Spirit. None of that's going to change anything if you're not willing to pay the price and be consistent. Amen. Amen. So he says, here's what he tells them. He said, I know your works, your labor, your consistency, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And, and we all feel that way, right? How many remember that old group called uh, Red Riders? Anybody remember that rock group called Red Rider? I'm telling my age here. They used to sing a song. Listen to this. This is funny. Lunatic fringe, we know you're out there. 
Well, they're here. They're not just out there. They're not on the fringe anymore. I understand how evil is. And you have tested those who say they're apostles or not and found them wise. Go to the next Revelation quote here. We're going to see this hupomene. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, hupomene, consistency. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your consistency. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Next one. Look at these things. Because you have kept my command to what? Hupomene. Sorry. Because you have kept my command to be consistent. It's a command. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. And test those who dwell on the earth. Jesus said... You be counted worthy to escape all these things. He said, don't get weighed down with partying, drunkenness, and cares of this life. In Luke 21, he said, because if you do get caught up in any of that, that day will catch you off guard. What's wrong with the people who live like that? Cares of this life is the one that will get most of us. They're not being consistent. Because you have kept my command to be consistent. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So the Holy Spirit came to me about three weeks ago. I spent about seven or eight hours on a Saturday just studying the book of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, it's time to warn the people. So I believe we're really close. And of course, I, I believe that. But I, I think when I get little tidbits like that, that prophecy we got in 2019 here was real or 2020, I'm sorry, that was something to get our attention. And when the Holy Spirit came to me and said that, because you all know I, I preach prophecy, I'm, I don't shy away from that. <clears throat> but I, when I get an extra input from the Holy Spirit saying, you need to emphasize this. So the first thing I started doing was just seeing how much Jesus warned us in the New Testament. Have you ever paid attention to that? A lot of what he done was warning us. Now, a warning, we, when we hear the word warning, we automatically think bad. But a warning is actually to stay off things. If you get a warning for something, you're getting a heads up, right? That, that's really what warnings are designed to do. Warnings are designed to keep us, right? And so warnings are important in the physical realm. They're important in the, certainly in the supernatural or the spiritual realm. So a warning is not a bad thing, but when we hear the word warning, we automatically think negative if we're not careful. But a warning is God giving us a heads up, right, on things. So in this context, he says uh, that we are to be faithful and be not caught off guard. And he said the thing that will cause you to be caught off guard in Luke 21 is you'll get caught up in the world, basically. Some people get caught up in the world's partying type atmosphere. Some people get caught up in the world's addiction. And some people just get caught up in the things of life. And that's what Jesus said. Be careful. Because if you do that, that day will catch you off guard. But he said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape. Because you have kept my command. My command to persevere, to stay consistent. I also will keep you from the hour of trial. Now, let me take you to Mark chapter 14, and that's where we're going to finish up this morning. Because I think there's a powerful lesson here for us in Mark chapter 14. I'm going to take you to verse 27, because this is where Peter and everything's going on. Jesus is getting ready to be uh, led away and all that kind of stuff. 
But in verse 27, uh, Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. So my warning today is take another look at your consistency. This is the season for that. God's faithful. He loves. He wants. He loves for us to repent. He loves for us to get things right. So just take a look and see how consistent you are in the areas. Maybe you've let something slip. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Now I've learned that's a bad place to be. Being arrogant about your spirituality is not a good thing. Looking down on others. Acting like you're the only one that will... Listen, I, I think I'm in a spot in my life, and I've studied a lot. And I love to study. I told you I went from being an athlete to a word nerd. But I, sometimes I think, man, I've got more questions than I have answers. Because God is so big. He is so big. And I keep, I keep asking God to teach me. I want to be taught. I say, Lord, I don't, man, you, you got it. I, I'm the one that don't have it. You got it. And he says, but after I've been raised, I will go. And Peter said, nah, I, I'm not going to do any of that, right? He said, I'm going to be with you. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, surely I say to you today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. Peter's really stepping up now. If I have to die with you, now, Paul had got there, right? We read that. He said, if I have to die to you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise. Then he came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here and I, while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. So he moves on in by himself. He went a little further, farther and fell on, his, on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And so that's where the battle's won, right there. We ought to take a note of that. Your battle's won in prayer. If you're not praying, maybe you ought to take another look at it. That's where those battles are won. I can't tell you, I can say this now because all of my children are grown. But I cannot, I don't think I can number the times that we knew our children were in battles or going to face battles in situations that we were able to see those victories, my wife and I praying and fasting together. Amen. We watched God do things that had I had to get involved in, it would have caused a bigger stink. And God just come in and started doing them. I'm not talking about, oh God, I need help. I'm talking about you going to that place of prayer like we talk about here a lot with that prayer journey. And that's where your battles are going to be won. If Jesus won his battles in prayer, uh-oh. We're going to have to win ours in prayer. And then he said he, he, he's out there and that's where the battles won. Then he came and found them sleeping. So he told them to watch. They're sleeping. Simon, are you sleeping? The guy that said, I'll die with you. Uh, could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's the struggle, right? And I think uh, there's not something dogmatic here or even religious or Pharisaic, but I think it might be a good idea just by reading this context. You ought to give God an hour a day, whatever that means. Study some, pray some. Maybe just you and your wife and your children talking about God. When's the last time you all just got together and talked about God?
When do you and your wife just talk about... My wife and I, we spend a lot of time talking about God. We enjoy that. And we tell each other what we don't know. And that way we can pray for each other. Say, I'm trying to learn this, but I just don't understand what God's saying or doing there. When's the last time you got with your wife and just said, Hey, let's have coffee this morning and talk about God. But give him some time. Shut that television off or that computer and that phone. Lay it over there where it can't get to you, right? How dare you leave a place of talking to God to pick up a phone and talk to man? Uh-oh. Give God some undivided time. Don't let him compete with everything all the time. Let him have some time that's not interrupted. You'll be better off for it. We'll all be better off for it. We'll all be better off for it if you'll do it. <laughs> and your family will be better off for it. So find you, give God an hour a day. You don't have to do it all in reading or praying, but give some conversation. Get those grandchildren. Read them a Bible story. Tell them who Jesus is. They're not going to hear it out here. Just have a little Jesus time. Right? And then he goes on to say, he says, uh, he says, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's the battle we face. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer. So they're feeling awkward about it. When he came the third time, he said, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas and one of the twelve with the great multitude with the swords of clubs came with the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And he, now his betrayer had given him, them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. One of those who stood by drew the sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords, clubs? Take me. I was daily with you in the temple uh, teaching, and you did not seize me, but, the king, but that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And we know later that was Peter cut the guy's ear off. Then he forsook them and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, left the linen cloth, and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him they assembled the chief priests, the elders, the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance. He stopped being consistent, didn't he? He's got that battle. When Peter should have been praying, he was sleeping. When you should have been praying, you were playing rook. I ain't got no problem with you playing rook. But if you should have been praying instead of playing rook, you better answer that call. What are we missing out on? What are we not accomplishing? What are we not seeing God do? Because we won't be consistent. What did Peter lose? He lost a lot. Jesus had mercy on him, but he found himself living in the flesh that quick because he wouldn't, be pray he wouldn't praying. He should have been watching and praying. But instead, he chose to sleep. Now, you know, every, I bet everybody in this building knows this. I don't care how far along you are spiritually. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you know sometimes it's the Lord. I mean, because you're wide awake. It ain't like a bird pecked on the window and you got startled and went back to sleep. You're wide awake. You know the Lord's calling you to come. So I don't know why God likes to get us in the middle of the night, but he does. 
Read the scripture. How many of them were out in the middle of the night? Jesus even in the middle of the night. I guess it's because there's fewer things to interrupt his time. He knows he can't hardly get time with us. So he wakes us up at 2 in the morning. He says, hey, come over here. Let's talk. I got some things to say to you. You need to be praying about this. Answer those calls. Peter refused to answer the call. Now he's in trouble. And when they led Jesus away, he's following from what? A distance. That's distant discipleship. He's fell into distant discipleship. He's not being consistent. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. And then some arose and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. So he's talking over their head. They didn't know what he's talking about. And, I, and a high priest stood up in the midst and said, Jesus, do you answer nothing? What does these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And the high priest said to him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him to deserving of death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, to beat him. And to say to him, prophesy, and the officer struck him with the palms of their hands. Now, how many Christians would have stopped there and said, this is too much? He hadn't even been to the whipping block yet or got the crown of thorns. He'd been lied on. Can you imagine just standing there? Your best defense when people lie at you is just to keep your mouth shut. Because if you start talking, they just think you're guilty. So when they're lying on you, you might as well just keep your mouth shut. Let the Lord be your defense. It's our nature to want to stand up for ourselves. But Jesus is our example. Just let it roll. And he says, uh, they condemn him deserving of death. They, they smack at him. They're beating him. He's still not. He's, he's, he's what? He's hupomenaean, right? I just made up a new word. Now, as Peter was below the courtyard, one of the servant girls, the high priest, came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also are with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it. Now, a lot of people did some... Bad things in the Bible. But here, I think, is one of the worst things in the Bible. How do you walk with Jesus, get out on the water with him, watch him feed thousands with one dinner, raise the dead, all the stuff he done, and then you act like you don't even know him? What's happening? He's not being consistent. You, your, our flesh will betray us if it gets a chance. And it'll get a chance if we don't remain consistent, if we don't hupomenate, if we're sleeping when we're supposed to be praying. And he said, you, uh, she, he denied it. So he, you got a guy that said, I'll die with you. Right? I'll die with you. And now the rooster's not even crowing yet. And he's not finished crowing. And he's acting like he don't even know Jesus. I knew it, neither know or understand what you're saying. And he went out in the porch and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl said to him again, began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them, but he denied it again. <laughs> and a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. Or his speech was telling on him, betraying him. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man 
of whom you speak. I can't imagine the weight of that once that come out of his mouth. Can't imagine it. He got there because he got into distant discipleship. When we're not consistent, that's what happens to us. We get in distant, or distant discipleship. If we get into distant discipleship, we'll find ourselves saying and doing things we never thought. Second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Put my uh, board back up there where I've drawn this up. I'm going to come to a close. here. <clears throat> you can go, <clears throat> some of you were probably raised, I, I, I was <clears throat> raised around some of this, uh, but my mother was a student of the Word, which kept us from getting caught up in what we call um, religion or uh, man-made ideas that a lot of people tag on. <clears throat> Some of you grew up probably in churches that when, when they prayed for somebody to get saved, after they got saved, they made them feel like they had to be perfect and the people praying for them forgot to tell them they weren't perfect. And you grew up probably, some of you probably grew up with this idea that discipleship was the destination. My life changed about 25 years ago when I realized discipleship's not a destination. It's a journey. And God's working on me the whole time. And I joke about this. I may find out it's true when I get to heaven. But when I collapsed last year in Texas, I am just said, God's up there saying, we're not, we're not ready for Him. He needs to work on it. We need to work on Him some more. Leave Him down there. Whatever, however that decision was made in the councils of heaven, God is continually drawing us in. Now, here's what I would say to you. That don't let us off the hook. Some people, you get raised in some bad teaching sometimes and you get, uh, you get made, and that's why a lot of people left our churches in the 60s and 70s because they felt like they had to be perfect and they just couldn't live it. You all, we've all run into people like that. What happened does, what happened though, and let me show you this on my board. I'll go back and forth here. What happens, and this is normal for men and women in religious circles, when we spot something wrong right here, we swing, instead of bringing that pendulum where it needs to be in balance, we swing it way over here. And we get out of whack again. Because people get so turned off to something that's wrong, they wind up being wrong the other way. That's what we call radicals in our country on both sides of the aisle. They can't find that balance, right? And so what happens is, yeah, this was wrong. We should have never been taught and driven that way. But we get over here instead of saying, okay, where's the balance at? We're over here. And now you've got people who act like God don't require anything. Well, that don't sound like that to me of the Scriptures we read this morning. God does require some things. We're in the family. If you're going to be in my family, you're going to work or you ain't going to eat. All my children had to work in the garden growing up. They all had to dig taters. Y'all know how to dig taters? Remember Granny on Beverly Hillbillies? Started that dance on digging taters? They thought She was showing them how to dig taters. Them guys were so groovy, they turned it into a dance. They thought she was teaching them a new dance. I'm telling my age again. 
Well, what happens is you've got people who do not feel like they can live it. So we lost a lot of people, right? But now we've got a church that is lukewarm, like Laodicea as a whole. Doesn't mean our church has to be that way, but you've got a church that just lets a lot of churches let anything go. That's the danger of swinging. You go way over here. We've had an Eros shift, I would call it. Between Eros and Agape, we've shifted from religion to more flesh. We didn't find where we should have stayed. Now, this should help us all. You're called to persevere. What did we just read out of Revelation? It's a command. You're commanded, basically, to be consistent. You are. Nobody's commanded to be perfect. That's where we had to make the shift, but we should not have shifted so far. Because what got us in heaven was not our own work. It was the work of Christ. This is why it's all down to relationship. Let me stay right here just for a moment. Now let's go. It's about relationship. You develop relationship with Christ. So my perseverance and endurance and patience and continuance is not based out of obligation first. It's based out of my desire to please Him. When I live a life of perseverance, endurance, patience, and continuance, then I'm consistent, and my consistency shows my faithfulness. You're not going to be perfect. None of us are. You don't, you don't have a perfect path. So, and there ain't no sense in letting me go because you ain't going to find me. None of us. But we have a perfect Savior who is touched with the feelings of our weakness because He's been there too without sin. Now what can you do tomorrow? You can get up and be consistent. What can you do Tuesday? You can get up and be consistent. What can you do Wednesday? You can get up and be consistent. And we are designed here to feed you almost every day of the week. If we need to, we'll get into that. Be consistent. Be consistent in God's Word. Be consistent in His body. Because it's not just about you. All things work together for the good of them. So what you're going through may be hard on you but it might be a blessing to somebody. We comfort others with the comfort we got when we were in our back. And that came straight from God. And I know this sounds weird, but some of you, you most of you have heard this by now. What happened to me last Yom Kippur was God's gift to me. It was a divine appointment. And I'm thankful. Because His ways are not ours. Let's stand our feet. Tell your neighbor, say, you can be consistent. Go ahead and tell them that. <laughs> if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, or if you're watching us somewhere around this globe and you don't know Jesus, then today's your day. Do not harden your heart toward His voice if He's calling you to surrender. I got some feedback last week. The Lord did some wonderful things in our Communion time, we did that live. And many of you that were watching us, you went and had communion with us. And we want to hear from you. More of you have already heard from some of you. 
what God's doing in that. But if you're, if you're already a believer and you're just not being consistent, this is your season. Take the, we have, we have uh, close to 20 days left. Just a few, maybe a few, for you to just take this moment and evaluate these next 20 days and say, Lord, where do I need to pick it up? What have I let go of? What am I not being consistent? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, we thank you for this moment. Maybe there's somebody here in this building under the sound of my voice that's not a believer. Maybe they need to surrender their life to you. Maybe the prodigal is here. Maybe there's somebody here that needs healing in their body. Whatever the need is, we know you're able to meet it. But Lord, I speak in concern out of this message today. Maybe there's people in this building or that are going to get this podcast or watching me right now that they need to be more consistent. They need to endure. They need to have a made-up mind to be patient and endure. So I just pray, Lord, that if that person is here, that they'll just slip out of their seat and they'll make a new commitment this morning to start being consistent. Or maybe they're watching. If you're watching my television, you're watching this YouTube channel, maybe it's your moment to say, Lord, I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to give you more. I've led up here. I'm going to renew myself. Whatever your moment needs to be today, you need to come spend your time with God. Will you come as we work?